Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Romans, chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 9 through 21. If you have a Bible brought with you, you could turn there. If not, there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you. Or if you would just simply like to sit and listen to the Word of God as it's read. Romans chapter 12, we'll start at verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Behold, Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Sounds so difficult, God, all those things to have that kind of attitude, especially in a world where we are, seems like hated and abused and always uh, mocked. We have so many enemies now in this world that hate you and hate us because we love you. And it would be easy to be hateful right back to them, but that's not what you're asking of us. You're asking us to demonstrate this kind of a love and life that would stand out and have people maybe stop and think, why is this person like this? How can they be like that to me if I treat them another way? That we could overcome the evil in this world with the good that you can live through us. And uh, it's a very tall order. We can't do it on our own. I know I can't. I know I need your spirit to work in me, change me, make me humble, make me kind, make me generous. Uh, That's what we desire because that's what you want of us. So I just pray this morning as we hear your word, as we think about it, that you would work in our hearts to make us just a little more like Jesus today. We ask it in his name. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you all on this Lord's Day. Uh, This is a day that, if you've not noticed already, is getting cooler. About 70 this morning early on, and we'll get to 50 later on tonight. For those of you who like the warm weather, it's gone for about five or six days. Those of you who like the cool weather, 
it's coming. It always reminds me, I've told you this before, that it's refreshing to the soul, the Word of God, and that's what this weather reminds me of. It's a couple weeks ago they had a conference, a worldwide conference in Davos, Switzerland. It's the powerful, the rich, the elite were there, and they really tried to influence policy in the world. And, and again, they've got all this money and fame and everything else, and they're over there trying to do this and that. But they, one, one thing that intrigued me, they had this list of the ten major problems in the world. And, and the first thing is what I really focused on, the first problem. You know what they said? Misinformation. Oh, that's something. Now, I, I believe that my definition of, and another word for misinformation is sort of like lies. I believe uh, what they believe are the lies is probably different than what I believe, but that's another whole point. But the, what I thought about is this, is that, you know, the main problem that we have here as Christians is misinformation. It's the lies of the devil. And, and that's why we are here as a church to share the truth of God. That's what we need more than anything else. But, of course, we're not talking about truth politically speaking, not talking about truth as it relates to the climate. We're talking about truth as it relates to our soul, to living the life that God wants us to live. We're going through the Beatitudes. started way back, I think, in, in was it October, November. We're going to get through it in the next few weeks, I believe, but we're, we're going through these Beatitudes. It's a very important teaching that God gave to his disciples, and of course, as his disciples, it's for us as well. And today we're looking at the seventh Beatitude. Very simply, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for there they shall be called the sons of God. Now, we're looking at four different aspects of this. Let me just briefly remind you of these. The first two we've already looked at. Today we're focusing more on numbers three and four. And the first one is that God wants you to have peace with him, with your creator and Lord. And the second one is that God wants you to help, help other people have peace with him. And the third thing is God wants you to know how you can have peace with other believers and fourthly and finally, then, God wants you to help other believers have peace within them from, with themselves. And today, again, we're going to focus on numbers three and four. But just to review a little bit of, of the third point, and then we'll move on to some other points about number three here, is if you want peace with other believers, what do you need to do? First, make sure you're right with God. Make sure your soul is cleansed from any sin. A similar one, is, similar one is number two. If you've sinned against another person, if you've done something wrong, if you've said something wrong, you need to confess that sin. So to restore the peace, restore the relationship. And both one and two are related to that verse in Matthew. It says, take the log out of your own eye. You see speck in somebody else's eye. You, you deal with your own self first. That's, that's what it says there. Third, there needs to be communication with the other person. My son James and his fiancée Danny are in Houston today going to a conference. It's, it's titled appropriately so, Speak the Truth in Love. And it was an all day yesterday and this, this morning and, and, and very important conference. And so the point here is we need to be ones who are speaking the truth in love. It's very important again for our relationships. I mentioned this last time. Let me sum it up again. There's three points there. First, you need to speak to people. Talk to people. Don't give them the silent treatment, okay? Number two, you need to speak the, speak the truth, not lies, not falsehoods, not half-truths, not exaggerations. And thirdly, you need to speak the truth in love. Don't speak harshly. Don't speak meanly. So very important, just three key points here about this verse, speak the truth in love, that are absolutely essential for your relationships with other people. Then we continue on. 
these are the new ones here. What else do then we need to do with other believers to have peace with them? The fourth point is having peace with others is based on the person of Jesus Christ. Only Christ can then bring peace between two people. I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. This is the section of verses probably more comprehensively than any talks about this peace and how Christ then is the centerpiece, the cornerstone of the peace that he wants us to have. We're going to start here in verses 11 through 18. I'll just read them. Therefore, remember that for formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access and one spirit to the Father. Again, the bottom line is Jesus Christ is the answer. Only through Christ then can we have peace with God and peace with other believers. And it's Christ himself who then removes this barrier of sin that exists between us and God and exists then between us and other people. So Christ himself, and again, I'm just summing it up here very quickly, but he's the bottom line. And, and through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, then we can have peace with God and peace with others. Next, having peace with others is based on the truth and on the spirit and not on worldly things. You and another person might like the same kind of food. He might like the same kind of Songs. You might like the same sports team. You know, you might like the same political leader, okay? And, but those are worldly things. And those aren't factors for having the kind of peace that we're talking about. Again, you all know this. You have friends. Hey, we get along because we like this in common. We have to understand that what's most important is the truths of God, which leads then to the next point here. Having peace with others is based on spiritual realities. And knowing what we spiritually have in common then is the basis for true unity and peace. This is so important because as Christians we can get off track and we need to see what do we have in common. Let me give you just a few examples. First of all, we have God as our Father. Secondly, all of us here, all of us who are believers, we're children of God. Thirdly, we're forgiven of our sins. Fourthly, our purpose is to worship and serve the Lord. Fifthly, Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord. Then we have the Holy Spirit who is in us. Next, we're all going to heaven. And next, we all have the word of God in common. And many other things. I could give you probably a hundred different things that we have in common as Christians. But so much. And Christians can divide over things that aren't important. Might we unite on the truth and the reality of what we have in common as Christians? Very important point, that number six. Number seven, be humble towards others. Again, these are all thoughts here about how to have a good relationship with other believers. That's the whole point here. In fact, I was thinking about this. I could give a, probably give a whole day seminar on this subject today. We're just going 45 minutes, going rather quickly. So listen up. you got your notes here if you want to read them. But the next point is be humble. Always consider others as more important than yourself. Always, always think about the interest of others first. 
put others first. Philippians chapter 2, turn there in your Bibles. Verses we've seen before, but so critically important in this present discussion about our relationships with others and having peace with others. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 to 4 says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. That's a tough verse. Nothing? Nothing? I mean, this is, this is what God tells us. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Important truth there that God wants us to understand. And, and, and if, if we are selfish, if we are thinking of, of ourselves as better than others or others not as good as us, then we'll have a lack of peace. There'll be problems. There'll be conflicts. The division. I, I, division. I have no doubt that all of us here have experienced this. We have problems with some other person because we failed then to be humble before them. We've been thinking about ourselves first. This is a, a very, very key point. Next one is key. All these are key. Next one is be actively loving the other person. Again, it's the idea you're not just quiet, you're not just silent, you're actively loving the other person. Very important, again, for having peace. I'm just going to mention six words very quickly, each one I could develop for a long time. Be kind to them. Be patient with them. Forgive them. Be merciful towards them. Give to them. And finally, be compassionate. All key points. Colossians 3 says it this way, 14 and 15, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Those qualities I just mentioned there. Then it goes on to say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So we're talking about unity based on love. We're talking about the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. Next point is this, talking about how to have peace with believers. Pursue peace with other Christians. If you know or sense that somebody has something against you, somebody is at odds with you, then initiate with them. I mean, again, you're not just guessing. I mean, this is something where you really have a pretty strong understand or feeling or conviction that there's something going on. But if something has, somebody has something against you, it's odds you, then you pursue them. You initiate with them. That's what you are to do. You are to do what you can to have peace with them. It says in Romans, uh, Steve just read this, 12, 18, I think, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So let's say there's some kind of conflict going on, you sense that there is, and you talk to that person, and you pursue them, and you try to have understanding, and you can't get it. You says, God, help me. It seems like some kind of conflict, as much as it depends on you. Sometimes it does happen that you try to pursue peace, and it's just not working, and you just sort of have to leave it to the Lord. Okay, that really does happen at times. That is the truth. But as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. This verse here, Romans 14, 19, it says, it says um, then we um, pursue the things which make for peace. Then we pursue the things which make for pre- peace. Then this verse in Psalm 34, 14, seek peace and pursue it. 
Again, in our relationships, God wants to pursue this peace. And again, remember that having peace is not just the absence of sin or the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of love, the presence of truth, the presence of righteousness. We all understand peace treaties in the world. You've got two countries. They signed this peace treaty. They really don't have true peace. It's just, you know, okay, try to keep the conflicts apart, you know, keep the, the armies apart. I mean, we all probably remember the what's called the Cold War between the United States and the Russians back in the 70s and the 80s. It was a Cold War. They called it a war, but it was a Cold War, which means they had this treaty, you know, and, and they got along that way, but they didn't like each other, okay? And they had something, you ever heard called, something called MAD? It was a little, it stands for Mutually Assured Destruction. So the idea was Russia's got all their weapons and the United States got all their weapons, and if they shoot us, we're going to shoot them and destroy the whole world. It's MAD. That's what they say. But the point is, we're not thinking that way. We're not thinking that way. We're thinking about, as, as Christians, we're talking about this peace and this unity that is totally different than how the world thinks, okay? Totally, totally, totally different. Next, be careful about forming camps, okay? Your own little group. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, chapter, chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 10 to 13. Paul's really clear about this. He's starting this introduction to his epistle, and this is one of the main points. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And this is one of the main problems they had in the, in the Corinthian church, so he's addressing it right away. Verse 10, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I've been informed concerning you, my brother, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So again, he's stressing the importance of this unity, this peace. And so the, the, thing, the truth is this. In a church, we do have separate groups. We have smaller groups. We have Bible study groups. We have prayer groups. And that's fine for the sake of church growth. But we must not let those smaller groups in any way divide us. We must not let them in any way think, hey, I'm better than you, or you're not as good as me, or all those things. As Christians, the bottom line, we know this. We are one in Christ. Very, very important truth. Next thing is this. Being at peace with others does not mean that you have a close relationship with them. You got that? Very important. Being at peace with another person does not mean you have a close relationship with that person. In fact, it is impossible to have close relationships with a lot of people. You know the verse in Proverbs that says, a man of many friends comes to ruin? And what he's really saying is if you have a lot of shallow friends, you'll come to ruin. He's not saying you shouldn't have friends, but a man of many shallow friends will come to ruin. You can't do it. You can't have all these shallow friendships. You will come to ruin. The point is this, is we can have a few good relationships, but God wants us to be at peace with, with, with everybody that we know. The example of Jesus. How many disciples did he have? Twelve. But when he broke it down, how many was he really close to? Three. Peter, James, and John. And how about Paul? Remember who his close friends were? Who were they? Timothy, Titus, Silas. You see, just a few. And that's the way it is with all of us. We all should have a few close friends. But the point I'm saying is that with believers that we know, if we have a problem and this person lives over in Timbuktu someplace or way out in Timbuktu, then you get on the phone and get right with them, okay? So you be at peace with the believers you know, but you can only have close relationships with a few. That's what I'm saying. Final point here. Pray for peace. 
Psalm 122.6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. In applying this to us, we need to be praying for peace in our relationships and in the body of Christ. Okay? So just pray. And pray that for uh, globally. I was, I was just looking at the, you know, you, you look at the Internet, and you Google something, and, and you find different things. But I, I Googled that, you know, how many different denominations are in the world. And you know what it came up with? 45,000. Oh, oh, no. That's not good. 45,000. Again, who knows what kind of churches they are. I mean, I, I, but, but just the fact that you have this huge number, this is not a good thing. And we all know this. There's probably more of a tendency in this country than many others where churches just divide. They just divide. And so we need to pray for, and there's some good reasons to divide, okay? I might mention that in another few minutes. But, but in general, we need to be ones who are praying for more peace and unity in the church. So we're now moving to the fourth point. And we, 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 we have to have this third point as foundational. That is, if you can't yourself have peace with another believer, then how can you ever help two other people have peace with each other? You see? That's why this point three is foundational. You've got to learn how to get along with believers, and then you can help other believers get along with each other. That's where we're going, okay? This is the fourth point. number of things here to say. First of all, um, it's an important subject. And of course, obviously for Paul, he wrote about it a lot in Romans 12, 16, he said, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Rejoice, brethren, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 13, Live in peace with one another. So you see, this is pretty, a pretty important subject. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians 4. You probably have heard this story before, but it's an important one in this context here. Philippians chapter 4. And it's really intriguing what, what Paul does here because he is highlighting and actually mentioning the two names of, of people in a church, believers that are having problems. And, and in heaven, I assume we'll meet these people. But let's read First Philippians 4, 2 to 3. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Obviously, they're having problems. Two ladies in the church are having some kind of conflict. Hey, you guys. Live in harmony. Then he says, indeed, true companion, I ask you, that is asking some other believer there, to help these women who have shared my struggle and the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So, so obviously these two people were somewhat mature, influential. MacArthur says this, since conflict talking about this point here in Philippians 4. Since conflict between, two, between influential people in a church will generate instability throughout the congregation, the two quarreling women at Philippi posed a danger to the entire, entire church's stability. There was a real possibility that the Philippians would become critical, bitter, vengeful, hostile, unforgiving, and proud. And Paul knew that unless decisive action was taken, Quickly, the Philippian church could dissolve into divisive, hostile factions. It was imperative that the Philippians be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So again, an important verse there. So now let's, let's talk more about this. We're talking here uh, very clearly, and, and again, not taking a long time, but it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
And in essence, that means blessed are those who you learn to have peace with other believers, and you also then help other believers have peace with one another. And that point I just mentioned about helping others have peace is what we're focusing on right now. And so uh, peacemaker is what God wants us to be. And this is something that takes maturity. And I would suggest to you that younger Christians, it's going to be harder for them to help people have peace with each other because it's more of a maturity thing, helping two other believers have peace. And you're going to see that as we go through these points. It's not just for the young Christian. I'm not saying young Christians can't do it, but in general, they won't be able to do it just because it's really being one who's mature. Okay, all these points. Number, number one, pray. Ask God to help you, for this is a spiritual endeavor. This is a work of God, helping two people who are at odds, who have a conflict, who aren't united, who, you know, just have something against the other person, okay? It's, it's a spiritual work. Secondly, with that, no, this is a spiritual battle. People often see the person they're having a hard time with as the enemy. Have you ever thought that? Having difficulty with somebody? He's my enemy. He's over there, you know, and... And we're not getting along. But you know what God says? You know who our real enemy is, don't you? You all know that. Our real enemy is who? Who? The devil. Ephesians 6, 10 to 12 talks about this. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people you can see. It's against the rulers and the forces and the the world forces of darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Know this. When there's a conflict with some other person, understand that the devil's trying to divide you. Okay? That's what's going on. That doesn't mean you don't have some kind of problems. There's issues. That's true. But bottom line, that other person is not your enemy. You're on this, if you're Christians, you're on the same team. You're on the same team, right? You're going to be united with each other. That's what God wants. And so, and still, though, there can be difficulties. You know the story. Difficulties between believers. You know the story between Paul and Barnabas and Acts there? I mean, two godly men. They're on a missions team together, and they split. They had a, a difficulty, I believe, about John Mark, whether he was really mature enough or not. And Barnabas thought one way, Paul thought another. So that does happen at times. I, I've, I've mentioned in the past, it was 1993, and, and I was in a church of 700 people. And 300 of us had a church plant. Now, some might call it a split I could talk more about it later. But the point is, it was theologically based. The other church felt that, that Sunday morning should be more for the unbelievers and myself, another pastor, thought, no, Sunday morning is for the believers. You need to teach the Bible on Sunday morning. That's what I do. That's what I'm convinced of. It happened again in 99, and that's the reason I'm here today. Because the church, that I, the new church, with the other pastors started going the wrong way again. Hey, let's have this Sunday service for unbelievers. And I said, no. And so, and, but we're all peaceable. And all these situations, well, there's peace, there's unity. We're talking back and forth. It wasn't like we had this, you know, big knock, knockout, drag out fight. None, none of that. But the point is there are differences at times. That, that does, does happen. But anyway, it's a spiritual battle. Next, let the people you're talking to, you're talking to a couple people here and they're having a problem with each other, let the people that you're talking to know that you love them, Okay. You're not taking sides. You're not taking sides. Hey, I'm going to start. No. You love them, and your overall desire and your purpose is to help them have peace with each other. Next, help them see the importance of peace. 
Stressing that God wants us to have peace in our relationships is, is so important and should be motivating. In fact, you might even want to read some of the verses because there's a lot of verses. You might want to read some of the verses we've, we've already shared here about the importance of having peace. Next, make sure they're both Christians. This is important. If, they're, if you're not sure, then share the gospel with them because if you have two people you're trying to help have peace and one or the other is not a Christian, they can't have peace. They can't. Not true peace. Not biblical peace. Not true unity. They can't. You see what I'm saying? So that's important. That is, this barrier of sin that is between them is that which is then preventing them from having the peace God wants them to have. So the sin is the issue. And if they're unsaved, it's just not going to work, and you've got to focus on the gospel. I mean, you can have surface things you share, but... What's the surface thing? We're trying to get to the heart, to the depth. Next, share with them, again, the importance of being humble. We talked about that personally, individually with other believers, but you now talking to two others, you've got to tell them you need to be humble. Again, this verse, Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfishness, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. And this is a spiritual work. You're talking to some people about having peace, and let's say they've not been humble, and this problem's been going on for quite a long time. It may not happen right away. You're, you're asking God to do an amazing miracle in their hearts of being humble, where they don't think that they're more important than the other person. The other person's not as important as them. Very important. This humility again. Next point. Okay, talking to two people. Not getting along. This is, next point is very important. Next couple points. Understand the situation. Understand the situation. Understand the specific problem at hand. This means that each person needs to be open and share about the relationship, what they think it's going on. And that means each person needs to listen to the other person and hear what's being said. And that's a very important thing. You all understand this in conversations. You've all done this. You're talking to somebody, you're not really listening. You're trying to think of what you're going to say. Very important. Helping them listen to each other. Hey, Joe, did you hear what Bill said? Bill, did you hear what Joe said? Can you repeat it? I mean, we're talking about points here that just don't happen in a split second. It's developing this. It's taking time. It might take more than just one session with them, helping them have this understanding of the situation then. This means that you yourself need to understand what's being said. So you got this situation there. You, as the counselor, so to speak, you as the one who's the mediator, you yourself are trying to understand. Because if you can't understand, how are you going to help them understand? you got to understand. What well, is it? And so you yourself, you're having this sort of exploratory time. You're talking back and forth and, and, and listening and, and answering and questions and these kind of things is going on. So you need to understand and discern the problem. Again, this means that you need to make sure, make sure that each person understands what's being said and what then is the real problem. Again, I'm, I must say I'm going quickly here. You're talking to two people about some kind of conflict, and what is the real source? What is the real reason for the problem? What is the real reason for the conflict? That is what you're driving at. That's what you want to understand it might be one thing, it might be two or three things, but that's what you want to find out, and usually the problem then is some sin. We're talking about a problem between two people. I mean, I'm trying to think of a time when it's not, but I'll still say usually. Usually the problem is some sin, okay? There's some kind of sin that is going on, 
and that sin needs to be understood. You need to figure it out. And, and as, as you, as the, the counselor, you need to be one that, hey, you're listening, and you think, huh? It clicks, and then you help them see what the real problem is. And in all this, you may need to even ask further questions to further clarify what the particular problem is, and then what the sin is, and then the answer and the truth. So, so it's a matter of, of, of not them just saying one thing, but they say one thing, and you ask a question, and somebody else asks a question, and listening back and forth, that is what's going on. Turn to Luke chapter 2. I've shared this before, but I really like this. It's, it's an example of, of Jesus, and it's, it's not, he's not being a peacemaker in this context. At least I don't believe he is, but doesn't say it in the text. But, but the point is there's some principles. There's those four words here I want you to hang on to. Jesus is 12 years old. He's with the, um, some of the people in the temple. His parents can't find him. He's, quote, lost at this time. But here he is, then after verse 46 and 7. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. The first overall principle is this. He was sitting. He was in a relaxed position. He wasn't hurrying. He had time, okay? He was sitting. Then the four points. Here we go. Is, is, is first one is um, uh, he was listening. He was asking questions. That's two. Three, he was understanding, and four, he was giving answers. So you're talking to people, trying to figure out what's going on. Four important points here, okay? Listening, asking questions, and then understanding, and then giving answers. So you think about this with people. So just, again, truths that sort of substantiate what we're saying here in terms of trying to have peace with other believers. In all this, you don't want any misunderstanding. You don't want it. You want there to be understanding. I, I, I failed to look up the verse, but there's a verse someplace that says, good understanding produces favor. Very important. Good understanding produces favor. And oftentimes, we're talking about this. It's not, again, it's not just a matter of you telling them, here's the problem. That may happen, but it's making sure that they understand the problem. And it's oftentimes in asking them questions so they themselves see what's going on. Get that? You understand? And then you start asking questions so to make sure they understand what the problem is. And then, of course, the answer. Next, it may be that only one, one person is at, at fault or in sin, or maybe that both are. I've heard some people say that anytime there's a conflict, there's always both people are at fault. Not true. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Two people having a problem. And it may be one, maybe both, okay? And all this is going to take humility on the part of the people that you're talking to. And it's going to take wisdom and discerning and understanding on your part. This is, this is a, not an easy thing. This is, this is, you know, this is, you know, like a college level, 400 level, 500 level class. We're talking about being a peacemaker. That's what we're saying here. And so, Next, then, you have to know we're talking about the problem. Usually, most always, is some kind of sin. You know what? You need to know what the sin is as defined in the Bible. And I've told you this before. There are many lists of sins. Mark 7, 20, 23, Romans 1, 28 to 31, Galatians 5, 19 to 22, Ephesians 5, 3 to 5, Colossians 3, 5, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, James 3, 14. They're all good lists of sins. All. And will help you to know 
and discern what the problem is, what the sin is, the, the sin that's at the, the core of the conflict, that is the heart of the problem. Let me just read one. The first one, Mark 7, is, is Jesus' list. And again, there's all these sins, and, and, and God wants you to understand them. If you're going to be a peacemaker, you've got to know these verses. You've got to know what the potential problems are. You see? Mark 7, verses 20 to 23. He was saying, that which Jesus said, that which, which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For man from within, out of the heart of man, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slender, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So you have a whole list there, don't you? Not just one or two. And all these others, there's these lists of sins that are important for you to understand. Again, if you want to be a peacemaker, if that's what you desire, as it says there in, in Matthew chapter 5, then you need to understand these lists here. Now, next, it may be that this, it's a sin that relates to a gray area, okay? Simple things. We, you've heard these examples before. One person thinks it's fine to have a glass of wine. Another person thinks it's not fine. One person thinks it's fine to watch a movie. The other person thinks it's not fine to watch a movie, okay? So here's a person who thinks it's fine to watch a movie and have a glass of wine. And he's with that other person, okay? And so he needs to be sensitive to that other person when he's with him, and be willing to give up that right when he is with that person. That's what I'm saying. It's a gray area. Be willing to give up that right when he is with him. It says this in 1 Corinthians 8, 12. If he's not willing to give it up, then he, quote, is, it says he then is sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak. That is the thing that's being talked about, the drinking wine, the movie, may not in itself be a sin to this one person, but it's sin if he goes and does it in the presence of another who thinks it is sin. That's the idea, okay? So again, that's, that's, an, that's an important area. We continue on. We're getting more to the conclusion here. Once the sin is identified, it's clear that this is a problem that must be agreed upon, okay? Each party must see and agree that the particular sin then is that which is at the heart of this conflict. And the person then who is in sin needs to be one then who confesses that sin to the other person, one who apologizes for that sin very clearly. And then the person who's been sinned against needs to accept and acknowledge that forgiveness. Again, I'm, I'm summing things up quickly here, but that's the principle. That's the point. Again, when I'm stressing here, this is a work of God. It's not just something you can do. Oh, I'm going to help these two people. I, no, this is a work of God. It's God working through his word. It's God working through his spirit. It's God working in you helping you. It's God working in that other person and in that other person. That's what's going on. It's a work of God. Okay? Work of God. That's what has to happen. It's God himself who does it, must do that then to bring about real repentance and reconciliation, restoration, and peace. That's what we are talking about. And so again, we've, we're going very quickly. You can see why this is an all-day seminar, how to have good relationships with people, how to help others. But I wanted to share basically the principles. Finally then, pray together. Pray together. And, and the point here, and it's you praying, and it's them praying to sort of seal what's being said 
And also then to be praying for further restoration and healing. It's, it's sort of like this. It's a pretty simple example. If, if you have a, a wound, you, you cover it, right? Some kind of cut or whatever it is, you cover it. You bandage it up, right? You understand that point. We're talking about there's been a wound here. Somebody has been sinned against, and now you're trying to have reconciliation. It's like the bandage is there, and it's not completely healed yet. Does that make sense? Not completely healed. I mean, you had the talk and the discussion, and everything seems to be fine, but there's some healing that needs to take place, and it takes some time possibly with the situation, depending on the nature of the sin here. That's what we're saying here. So that's what God wants to do. Again, it is the work of God, and, and we want to pray together. So what's the specific blessing? I'm just going to take a few minutes on this last point here. What's the blessing of being a peacemaker? It says that you're a son of God. Now, at first glance, you might say, well, isn't everybody a son of God? Uh, you could say that. You could say that. But you know what? The Bible does make clear that every Christian is what? A child of God. 1 John chapter 3 says that we are called children of God, and 1 John 3, 3 says that we are children of God. All true believers, all those who are saved are children of God. That's, that's what we understand. But this verse in Matthew 5 says that we're called sons of God. That is, God himself is calling the true peacemaker a son of God. That's what he's saying here. He's one who's living for God. He's son of God is living for God. He's, he, he's one that is, is a peacemaker, and God sees him making peace, doing this work of God, and then he calls them and says, you're a son of God. You're a mature believer. You're doing the work of God. You're loving people and helping them love each other. That's what you're doing, and God then says, you, you are a son of God. See, that's, that's what we're saying here. That's, that's, that's the point. And this is what God wants. What we're talking about really here is disciple-making. You know, you go to Matthew 28, go make disciples. This is your work. You're involved in people's lives. You're not just sitting in your house all day long. You're involved. And if there's some kind of conflict, then might not God want you to get involved? And that's sometimes, it doesn't always happen that way. It takes discernment. You know, there's a problem people having, and you think, well, should I be the one to do this or not? If you're not sure, then ask one of us as elders, Okay. And tell us the general situation. Go from there. If you're not sure, but this is the work that God wants us to have. This is one of the Beatitudes. Turn to Romans chapter 8 as we are wrapping up here. Romans chapter 8. I love these verses here about the Spirit of God. There's, I, I said this before, but, but, but Romans 8 probably has more in the Spirit of God than any other chapter in the whole Bible. There's a lot here. But Romans 8, verses um, 14 to 16, says, For he, who, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You see what it says there? A son of God is one. He's one who's led by the Spirit of God. Not every believer is led like he should be led. But a, but a son of God is one who is consistently being led by the Spirit of God. You've not yet received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So you see the two differences there. Children of God, verse 16, and then in verse 14, sons of God, those who are being led by the Spirit of God. So the work that we're doing or talking about here, being a peacemaker, is a work of God in your heart. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God got to help you, got to enable you. Again, it's not something you can do in your own. It's what God himself must do through you, and for his purposes. So mature Christians, then, are, be, are ones who are being 
led by the Spirit, they're living by the Spirit, and they're doing the work of God. In this context here, we're talking about peacemakers. We've covered a lot of things today, a whole lot of things, very quickly. But I would trust that you'd go over these points and think about them. I have no doubt that you, as you go through life, will have problems with other believers at times. There's no doubt that will happen. That is bound to happen. So look at these points. What do you need to do or not do? And there's a good chance that you'll meet two other believers that aren't doing so good together. And to pray then, should, does God want you to be involved? Are you that close to them? Because if you're not close to them, it's not your purview, not your situation, then you may not. But then that takes wisdom from the Lord to know what to do, and he will lead you. Psalm 133, we'll conclude to this. Psalm 133, the one psalm about unity and peace. It's an interesting one, just a short one here. Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And, and I think what I'm saying here is that for there to be unity, there's got to be peace between the believers. That is how blessed for pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in peace or in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing of life forever. You, you see what happens is, it affects the whole body. That's the idea. Coming down upon the whole body. Then the conclusion is life forever. So you see the, the importance then of this peace and this unity God wants us to have. I mean, I understand with my wife, we've had problems, you know, not major problems, but little problems and disputes and differences, and we've got to get things right. I will tell you this. When, I, when that's all over, I feel so much better. I feel so good. <laughs> Me and my wife are at peace. I mean... We have peace, but not practically. We, we talk it out and figure it out and we humble ourselves. There's peace. It feels so good. You know what I'm saying? And that's what God wants for all of us to have that. And not just a feeling I'm saying, but by the Spirit of God, we have real peace and real unity and real joy in our relationships. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you for giving us these, this one verse that's got so much in it. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And I would ask you, Father, to all these points help us then, each of us here. If we don't have peace with you, if we're not saved, God, you save our soul. God, we ask you to do that. Help us, secondly then, Lord, to know how to talk to others about the gospel, help them, helping them have peace with you. And thirdly then, help us, Lord, as we go through life, then know how to have peace with other believers. And finally, fourthly, Lord, Help us to help, help other believers, two other, might be more than two, but let's say two is a minimum, help them have peace with each other. God, do this. This is, this is an important work. As I mentioned, I, as I said before, there's so many different churches, that's denominations, let alone different churches, and it really is a problem in our country and in our world. And, but Lord, we're just here, our own lives, so help us with our own families, our friends, and our church, Lord. In our own circle, help us then be at peace with others and help others then be at peace with each other. That's what we pray. Thank you again, Lord, for everyone here. I do thank you for Charlotte and her family that could be with us today. And, and thank you for the time yesterday we had together just to be encouraging one another, have the fellowship time, and just to hear the word, Lord, and the testimonies of, of Jim's life. Just pray for Charlotte and 
Family, give them grace and peace and comfort in these days and weeks and months ahead. Lord, ask you for that, that you would really help them there. Thank you for Margaret being here, Lord. She had a little bit of a physical scare last week, Lord. She's back here with us. Thank you for that. You answered our prayers. And, and, and do pray for people like Carol Holland, who's had problems, Lord. And, and still, Kella Hardy still taking medicine for her uh, cancer, Lord. Just, just pray for all these that are ailing. But just lead our church, God. Help us to be and do all that you want. And thank you now for this time, this meal that we have together. Lord, we bless you for providing for us physically speaking. We bless you for that. Just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.